0: Welcome to entrepreneur decoded the show where you'll find real conversations with today's most successful entrepreneurs they'll share everything from unforgettable personal stories to exact strategies they use on a daily basis here's your host Simon Sander
1: hey yeah uh, thank you for joining me this is your host uh, Simon Sander and I'll be chatting with Deb Gaber today Deb uh, I'm really happy you're here
0: hi how are you
1: Well, I'm better now, Deb. Thank you so much for coming in. Deb is a branding expert, investor, and CEO of Sol Marketing. Deb has led brand research and strategy engagements for organizations such as Dell Inc., Microsoft Corp., NBC Universal, and dozens of early-stage tech and digital media titans. She's also the author of the famous book, Branding is Sex. Get your customers laid and sell the hell out of anything. So, Deb, I know you've done uh, so much more, so fill in any gaps from that intro and tell us a bit more about yourself.
0: Okay, I like to tell people that I was born to brand, that I'm absolutely compelled to do it. I can't not do it. So I guess if you look across my entire adult working life, I've been doing some form of branding or marketing for the entire time. I'm absolutely obsessed with it. I fall deeply, deeply in love with brands, and I think that makes me a great brand strategist and a good resource to my clients. Uh, Let's see. What else can I tell you? I live in Austin, Texas. We have 300 plus sunny days a year, uh, my personal life, I'm a I'm a single empty nester. My only child went off to college in August and I'm trying to reinvent myself as a human. And things that I enjoy doing, I'm obsessed with winter sports, specifically skiing, and I try to do that as much as I can. And I just got back yesterday from a trip to El Salvador where I was skiing, or not skiing, I was surfing. I have skiing on the mind because I'm going skiing next week. So that's what I got for you.
1: So you got back yesterday and you're already talking to me.
0: Yeah. That's right. Well, you know, we've been on the calendar together for a long time. I tell people this, if it's not on the calendar, it's not going to happen. So, you know, you're here, I'm here, we're doing this meeting. I've already been working for, you know, 18 hours since I returned.
1: So it's all good. Well, Deb, I agree completely with you. When something is not on the calendar, it does not exist. I want to jump into our first topic right away without wasting any time. If you could teach everyone, every single person in our audience, just one thing. Something that you feel has been the biggest contributor to successes so far, what would that be, Deb?
0: You probably get a lot of entrepreneurs on your show who say this, but I would say the biggest contributor to my success is saying yes to a lot of things. I actually overheard some of my employees talking about a week ago. Uh, they said, Deb's really good at at selling things we don't know how to do and then having us figure out how to do it. That is kind of the classic brand of entrepreneurship. That's been my experience. And over the 14 years that I've had my own company, that's been kind of the key to my success, built the entire company on saying yes to as many things as I possibly could, even if I didn't know how to do them. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, I've given myself to suck at a bunch of stuff and really focus on the things that I do really well. And, you know, saying yes is one of them. And that's gotten me into venues and into clients and into engagements and, and experiences that I don't think I otherwise would have had uh, if I were afraid to say yes. So to sum it all up, say yes to as much stuff as you can.
1: What do you say no to?
0: What do I say no to? I say no I say no to clients that do not fit my criteria.
1: Yes, I agree completely. You shouldn't say yes to every single person or every single potential client who wants to get your services or buy your product, they might not be a good fit and it's going to hurt you in the long run.
0: Right, exactly. So we have really, really strict client criteria here. Um, you know, our sweet spot, as, as a I like to say that we're in the business of creating kick-ass brands for organizations that want to win. We help brands tell really, really awesome stories to their customers by bonding with them in a deeply emotional and connected way. And we can only do that with clients that have big goals and are really willing to do the hard work that's required for them to make the changes that they need to do. So we've established some really strict client criteria. I don't want to be all things to all people. So the clients that I want to work with, first of all, you have to be a company that has very big goals and you have to have a lot at stake to achieve them. So I don't want to work for anybody who just is satisfied being number two in their market or being number three. Doesn't necessarily mean that I only work with number ones, but I need to work with organizations that have like a deeply vexing existential business problem that they're trying to solve. Another criteria is they have to be able to accept our help. So a lot of clients have come to us or potential clients have come to us and they say, my boss told me I need to do X. So I'm coming to you to do that. They don't really need Need my help and they can't really accept my help. So we need people who don't have the skill sets on their team or they need someone who can help them take it to the next level, not somebody who needs a blank. So that's another kind of screening mechanism. The third thing that I'm looking for are clients that I am excited and proud to work with. If I'm not proud putting that on my client. Cri- client marquee or I'm not proud telling other people at a coffee at a at a coffee shop or at a cocktail party hey I'm working with x client that's not a good client for me to work on Um, I want to be able to wear it loud and proud and so you know in my past I I used to have a job where where my boss often took on clients that nobody was excited to represent and that doesn't really create like a good environment and then the last thing is they have to be able to pay they have to be able to pay for what we are offering they have to value the service that we provide, and they have to be willing to pay the amount that we're charging for it. So the interesting thing with that is that doesn't necessarily mean that I won't negotiate, but I don't discount um, if people want to nickel and dime me to death over different parts of the service. That means that they don't ultimately see the end result as being as valuable as we see it. So we're not we're not aligned on our values. So I say no to clients that don't meet all those criteria.
1: Everybody seems to say that <laughs> when you start your business you shouldn't take on every client but man it's really hard if you're not if you don't have clients in the first place and you get a client who's willing to give you money and then you're gonna turn them down no way so tell me when you started off your business did you turn down a lot of clients
0: so that's a that's a really good question because you know here I am I'm like beating the drum and saying, you know say no to stuff right and I wrote an entire book about saying yes to the right things and saying no to the wrong things right which is kind of the essence of branding uh, but when I first started out as an entrepreneur, oh i got i guess that goes all the way back to two thousand and three so you know fourteen years now, I was a little bit more opportunistic because I needed to make money and support myself and support my kid and pay my rent and keep the lights on and so I said yes to a lot more things, but I was very early stage, I was admittedly very opportunistic and meeting my basic physiological and safety needs and putting a roof over my head and paying my bills and putting gas in my car were far more important than me maintaining very, very strict client criteria. However, you know, what I was doing grew into a business pretty quickly and I started to see that I was getting pulled in a lot of different directions and, you know, I really dug in and strategically defined, you know, what is is it that I'm trying to create here? You know, what's my purpose? what am i what am i trying to do and what is kind of the guiding force and what am i compelled to do what is my special gift what is my calling and how can i have the most value and then start there and work backwards to really refine the types of services that that we're providing here so you know if there was ever a key learning in that that was early on in my career i needed to be somewhat opportunistic because i needed to get the thing off the ground but uh, I did take an opportunity to step back and see what I had created. And I wasn't exactly thrilled with directionally where it was going, because what I was doing was a lot of commodity type service that I couldn't charge a lot of money for. And it wasn't very profitable for me. So, you know, I took some time to really dig in when I had enough money in the bank to kind of take a break and sit back and, you know, breathe a little bit and thought about the strategy of, okay, really, what is it that I'm trying to create? And that was rooted very much in my purpose and in my in my my calling and my compulsion, which at the core is I am moved to jump out of bed every morning to help other people be successful in their business by giving customers a seat at the table in the development of their brand. And so everything I did since then has been oriented around that.
1: One of the things I'm wondering about right now is burning out. Um, at least me, I'm trying to say no more to a lot of commitments. Uh, when people reach out to me, I'll I, I'm hardwired to say yes to everything, but lately i I'm, I'm really trying to say no more so I'll have more time to spend with my family, people I love people close to me. How about personal life there How often do you say yes, How often do you say no to commitments?
0: Oh my goodness! This is, what you're talking about here is something that I think is part and parcel of entrepreneurial head trash, right? Because as entrepreneurs, we say yes to many, many things in our pers- in our professional lives, and that bleeds over into our personal lives. We wouldn't be great entrepreneurs if we weren't already coming to the table hardwired just to say yes to stuff and to obligate ourselves to stuff. And this is something that I have struggled with really my entire life. Part of it is being entrepreneurial. Part of it is my hardwiring. Part of it, frankly, is being a woman. Um, you know that we have a tendency to just obligate ourselves to things because culturally and like maybe even maybe even neurologically and physiologically we're oriented that way but i have started to say no to more and more stuff in a yes and kind of way Um, so the the screening mechanism i have been using for about saying no and saying yes to things is i come to the table wanting to say yes if it's not a hell yes then it's a no and i'm not really sure where i heard that that might have been from cameron harold or it might have been from somebody else but like this this whole idea if it's not a hell yes then it needs to be a no and that way it opens the door for me to say yes to the things that are going to add the most value rather than being kind of energy vampires for me but i i understand the struggle simon and and it's real this, the, the struggle is real and we all have it and if you come to the table as an entrepreneur and a person who is a champion of entrepreneurs you experience it every day I am the most adD human being in the world I see an opportunity three data points makes a trend it's a business opportunity then all of a sudden I'm starting a company around it I have to really really hold myself back from that and you know it's good for me to be with other people maybe other entrepreneurs who are kind of my personal board of advisors or mentors who can be a psychological mirror who can reflect back at me to say, Deb, is that a hell yeah? Because if it's not a hell yeah, you shouldn't be doing that.
1: Yeah, that's what I like about entrepreneurs. We have this uh, crazy, even like a mental um, desire to do things and uh, just great change. Like you said, uh, you you see a business opportunity and you want to take action right now, tonight, not tomorrow. And it's it's crazy. Deb, I want to talk about numbers. Uh, tell me what are some numbers you can share about solo marketing, uh, revenues, expenses, stuff like that.
0: Um, you know, that's information that I don't really like to share. One of the reasons why I, I don't share of that gratuitously is that, you know, we're a privately held company. We're a pretty small company. I have some very, very big goals. But as a pretty small company, I serve some really big clients, um, you know, big uh, Fortune 500, even Fortune 50 companies, that it's really, really important to me that that information doesn't get out. Because in many ways, I'm trying to project a much bigger image than, than what's actually here. I mean, we're totally capable of doing the work. Again, this is sort of the entrepreneurial mindset of being uh, being in a position to say yes to more and more things. I can tell you that we are doing all of this magic for some of the biggest, best-known brands in the world and then some of technology and digital media's emerging early-stage companies in our investor pitches division. We're doing that all with about 12 people from an office in Austin, Texas and one in New York. I say it's an office in New York. We have one really awesome employee in New New York. But we're, you know, we're doing that all out of our little centralized location. I've been in business for 13 years. Um, I will tell you that revenues top out at well over $2 million a year. Um, I can also tell you that, um, hmm, what else can I tell you numbers wise? Those are the most things that I can tell you numbers wise. I can also tell you that the average, um, my average profit margin every year is between 45 and 50%, which is, yeah, which is cool. Um, you know, we've created a business where there's a lot of value in the results that we produce and the way we've structured the business. It's a services business, but uh, there, we we really base what we charge clients for the work we do on the value they get from it, rather than the effort expended. And so we can make a whole lot more margin on those kinds of programs. A client may pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a program, um, but the effort that was that was spent on generating that two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of client value um, is not commensurate with the you know the cost of the resources to do that. If that makes any sense.
1: Well, tell me how did you land those big clients such as Dell, uh, Microsoft, uh, NBC Universal? You've worked with some of the. Biggest giants in the industry. And I've, I've talked with the, the executives from these companies and I know that they don't usually hire small agencies to do their branding and marketing. Usually they work with uh, companies which have four or five hundred employees, such as like VaynerMedia Media and B companies. Have, tell me, how did you land those B clients?
0: Ah, so this is actually, this is a really good, a good learning for entrepreneurs, especially who are in service businesses who want to get into these big companies. So um, I am a fervent networker. And I have lots of clients and and colleagues and, and people that I know from, you know, past relationships and things like that. And I stay in touch with those people. And I make sure that I I add value to their lives on an ongoing personal basis, you know, even once they've left their job. So I'll tell you a really good example of the big break to get to Dell into Dell Corporation. Um, So I had one of my very, very first clients when I started my company back in 2003 uh, was working at a consumer products company. Well, he left that company. He had hired me in that company. Um, He had hired me in to train all of the brand managers at that company how to be brand managers. They were moving from being a product focused organization to one that was being more brand and customer focused. They needed to train everyone to be brand managers. So he brought me I trained all his people how to be brand managers. Then he left and he got a job at Dell. And he went into he went into a marketing role in one of the product groups over there at Dell. And Dell was sort of making a move to be more customer centric and and he needed to bring some of that acumen of of teaching people how to manage more with the customer at the center of the conversation than, than with product and technology. And he brought me in again to kind of do the same thing. And so it started out as like a little Skunk Works project that I think was less than $10,000. But then this is where yes comes in, right? Saying yes to more stuff. He said, hey, you know what? This my boss likes this training so well. He'd like to take this out over the entire, uh, we wanna take this out over the entire North American business unit. How do we make this scalable? All of a sudden I was in the business of creating scalable digital training content that went out first in North America and then got translated into like 22 languages and then was distributed around the entire company. And sort of, it sort of grew that way. And then that leveraged into me being introduced to other internal clients and then them introducing me to further internal clients and then networked through the organization that way. So the big learning about that, and that's exactly how that happened at Microsoft, that's exactly how that happened at NBC Universal. It all happened through client relationships that existed in other places before, where we added so much value to that client's life when they were in their previous job that they took us with them when they went to their next job. And then all of a sudden, my client relationships double because I'm keeping the old job and taking the new job. And then all of a and I have twice as much work and then just sort of infiltrating through the organization. The other thing I will say about that is I have never, ever, ever felt any shame about asking a client when we've done a really awesome job for them, asking them, who else do you think I should meet? And then kind of navigating through the organization that way. Um, so instead of coming in top down and responding to RFPs for agency of record relationships and things like that, I've gone in, you know, into these little pockets where uh, maybe it starts with a very small project where we carve off a really small piece like ten dollars or $25,000 and then infiltrate our way into those organizations.
1: Interesting. So if you work with a big company such as uh once you're done with the project, you're going to ask the executive uh, you've been working closely, who is someone or what company should I work next with?
0: Yeah, and you know, inside Adele, actually, I had a meeting like this last week, I have a favorite client who he's gone to another role, and he's not in a position to use outside help. In addition to brand strategy, um, my company also does market research, and we we produce millions of dollars worth of scalable digital content, mostly in a B2B setting. So we have a like a huge content business as well, and that's what we were doing for him. And so I went to lunch with him last week, and I said, hey, I know you're leaving your role inside of Dell and going to a different role, and you're not. In a position where you're going to be hiring outside help, I'd love first to meet your replacement if you feel like that would be of value to him to know me. And then secondly, um, here are a bunch of other people inside of the organization that I've worked with that I've lost touch with, or I or here are some people I'd like to meet. Would you be willing to make introductions? And because I have such a strong symbiotic relationship with this client, he brought his computer over here and he opened up the corporate directory, and we started doing research to figure out who I should meet. And he actually has been systematically over the last week making those introductions for me. So, so like the big learning there is for me, and again, this is kind of the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial mindset, is I, I just ask the question. I'm ready for people to say no to me, but they very rarely do. One of the big things that I have experienced in my life is that people truly want to help one another and people truly want to help me.
1: Yeah, and I think it's so important that you talked about there's no shame in asking. Uh, When I look at your website, solarmarketing.com, you have this really interesting line, uh, and it says, there are no stupid questions. Um, What was the idea uh, behind uh, putting it there?
0: You know, I think there's a lot of shame that, that has been baked into the process of questioning and asking questions and feeling like you're looking stupid. I always say that the only stupid question is the one that's left unasked. And so I I believe that there are no stupid questions. That's probably in the FAQ section of our website or, or near the place where you actually can submit a question or something like that. I honestly believe that um, my job is to ask questions. My job is to, is to help, organizations ask questions of their customers my job is to help people question everything so that they can uncover the core dna of their brand and tell the best stories that give people the feeling of these toe curling mind blowing orgasms if you will and so if i went out there and made people feel like they like they were deficient in some way in the asking of a question then i'm off brand right and so you know i i believe in asking questions i'm a person i ask for upgrades every time i check into a hotel you know i always ask i'm like hey you know do you have a room on a higher floor do you have a room on a corner do you have a room with a spectacular view that i that i can't miss and if it's available i will tell you simon 9 times out of 10 they just give it to me because i ask and I'm pleasant. I'm not trying to get one over on them. I'm trying to, I'm trying to enhance my life and, and give them an opportunity to do something that's going to fill their
1: cup. I love that. I love that. Um, I always love stories. I love when entrepreneurs share stories on this show. So, Dev, could you please share a story with the audience, a story from your entrepreneurial journey, a story that really stands out to you? Let's call it the unforgettable entrepreneurial story.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, going back to one of the things that I said very early on in this in this interview, uh, you know, really like my big learning, my big aha moment from entrepreneurship is is really saying yes to as many things as possible, and my team saying Deb's really good at selling stuff we don't know how to do, and then having us figure out how to do it. Uh, probably one of the more memorable experiences of my of my career uh, was maybe four or five years ago. We had a client. It was a software company um, who had. Recently been acquired by a private equity firm and then spun out from a a larger company, and they needed to completely rebrand themselves and have a coming out party in about six weeks. So, uh, if you've been through a branding process and totally rebranded, like a big, this was like a hundred million dollar company, so it was no small feat. They needed to rebrand themselves and reintroduce themselves to the market in six weeks. They had a big trade show coming up, and they wanted to do something that was going to be a real big splash and something that was going to to get the attention of everyone in their industry and get them in front of customers in a really powerful way and use this as their coming out event. And so we were targeting this one event. One of the things they wanted to do was have a very big presence at this particular trade show. And so I went to a meeting with their executive team. So the CEO, the chief marketing officer, who was my client, uh, you know, the CFO, the COO, a bunch of a uh, bunch of uh, sort of mid-level executives to brainstorm. Okay, what are we going to do at this trade show? And so my team and I, before we went to the meeting, we brainstormed a whole bunch of ideas and came prepared to present three. And, um, so we get to the meeting and I'm feeling the energy in the room and I'm feeling like just this sort of lackluster response from everybody. And, uh, we present the three ideas and I'm not even loving any of the ideas. And I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm pitching something that I'm not totally in love with. So on the fly, I think to myself, I'm like, all right, how am I going to, how am I going to like really take command of this meeting and make this a win for everybody? So I take the approach of what would we never do? What would we never do? What would we never propose to these people? And part of their visual brand was a picture of the Himalayas and one of the mountains is Mount Everest. And I'm obsessed with high altitude mountaineering, which is another story for another day. So I recognize Mount Everest in this. And so I'm taking the approach of, all right, I'm going to totally shake up this meeting by changing the way we brainstorm, by asking the question of what would we never, ever do, and then throwing some kind of bullshit out there. So I say, hmm, what would we never do? Well, we would never, we would never, ever, ever build a scale replica of Mount Everest in the middle of this trade show floor. And all of a sudden, everyone at the table turns around and looks at me and their eyes light up. So I keep going, right? And I'm like, we would never do that. We would never sponsor a climbing expedition to the highest mountain in the world, and this happened to be a, a soft a software product serving the nonprofit space. I so said we would never sponsor an expedition. Um, we you know, we would never sponsor mountaineers climbing up Mount Everest or K two or something like that. We would never have an oxygen bar in our Mount Everest replica on the floor of this trade show. You know, we these are not things we would do, would they? Then all of a sudden the client is just eating out of my hand because, you know. Suddenly I've put a velvet rope around this idea by saying like we'd never do that only the biggest best brands in the world would do that and then suddenly these clients wanted it so bad so I walked out of there with the assignment to figure out how to build a an 80 foot replica of Mount Everest in a 20 by 20 trade show booth And then I needed to find an expedition to the top of the world to sponsor. So through that process, you know, we we got a deal. And then I had to figure out how to do it. And I believe that this this meeting took place like probably right before Thanksgiving. The next meeting on the topic when I was supposed to present the plan and the budget and here's how we're going to get this stuff done was supposed to happen right after New Year's. I spent my entire Christmas break writing emails and sending direct tweets and posting in community trying to find an expedition, a mountain climbing expedition that would allow this company to sponsor them. And through that process, I met a person who is very, very special to me. Um, His name is Alan Arnett. He's a world-renowned mountaineer. Uh, He is the oldest person to summit K2, which he summited at 58 years old, in fact, on his birthday. He's climbed the seven summits, which is the highest mountain on each of the seven continents. Plus, he's been On Mount Everest four times. He's one of the world's most accomplished mountaineers. I happened to come across him while I was researching, you know, trying to find an expedition to sponsor. This company ended up sponsoring this. He is climbing, he climbs the highest mountains in the world to raise awareness for Alzheimer's, which is his personal cause. You know, found just this serendipitous fit between him and my client and his cause and my cause, and we put this all together. He has become a great friend of my company, a great personal friend. I've helped him advance his cause and get exposure to more than a million more people who have have now contributed to, to his cause as a result of what he's doing and whatever. And this is something that's become a movement that snowballed out of me being in a meeting, being an entrepreneur, being the person who said, what would we never do and turning a no into a yes. So there you go. One of my best memories ever.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Tell me uh, six weeks later after that meeting, uh, how did that turn out? Are they still working with you or what came off that uh, client meeting that really successful client meeting.
0: So what came out of that was they actually contracted with us to, you know, create that entire trade show experience for them, which was really exciting. Um, that was something that's the, that's a, a particular kind of work that we don't normally do. So, you know, I had to go out and figure out a way to partner with another firm who actually does that stuff to make that happen and still make it true to the brand. They had a very successful brand launch and then um, about three and a half months later, they made a strategic Strategic acquisition for which they they came back to us and asked us to help them with the uh, with the branding due diligence work to size the value of that acquisition for them. And then after that, we actually helped them with a variety of campaigns for about two more years. And then um, that software company actually got acquired by a larger company. And this is, this is something that often happens in my business. Uh, they got acquired by a larger company that already had like a big agency of record relationship with a big you know like a 500 person firm. And so they sucked all of our work up into there. However, the client, the person who was the chief marketing officer there, she's since gone on to another job and she's hired us there. So it's not a totally sad ending.
1: Deb, uh, I want to come to present day. Um, you have so much going on. Tell me, how does your life uh, look like uh, right now? Huh. How
0: does my life look right now? That's such a loaded question. Um, how does life look for a, a a 48-year-old woman who's been single for 15 years and whose only child has moved away and gone to college. I am in a period of reinvention and um
1: Well, that's what you do the best though. You you that's what you do for life, you know?
0: That's what I do for life. Yeah. So, um I you know, I'm sort of sucking sucking up all of the all of the marrow from the bones of life, if you will. Um so what life looks like for me right now, I'm really trying to take my company to the next level. Um we had some setbacks last year just as a result, one of our largest clients went through a merger and some, and a pretty significant piece of our business just kind of got absorbed into another part of the organization. So um, I'm back kind of reengaged in my business on a little bit more of a day-to-day basis, uh, trying to, you know, set up the team for long-term success and figure out how do we scale. So I'm back in my business, but I also set a very distinct goal for myself that our business model is one where I know exactly how much revenue each full-time employee has to service in order to make the business model work and make those 50% margins. And so for my segment of revenue that I service, not revenue that I bring in, because I'm kind of the primary rainmaker for my business, but for this, the, re- the revenue that I service, I want like 90% of that to happen outside of my employees, meaning I'm, I've set a goal for myself to generate a certain amount of money from paid speaking engagements Uh, from book sales, from hands-on consulting gigs. Like I have, I have companies that, that call me and say, Hey, can you come in for one day and you know, for, for X number of dollars and this many people in the room, can you unfuck our brand, you know? And so doing, excuse my language, I very much own that brand dominatrix, uh, metaphor, you know, but, um, you know, like uh, doing more and more of that kind of stuff, because that stuff that I can do independently, that doesn't involve my team. And so, you know, the core business can continue to scale, I can continue to make money, plus those engagements actually feed my business, so I'm filling the top of the funnel. So, but what that looks like from a personal perspective is like, I work I work a lot, but my life is not out of balance. Um, I love to travel. I love to ski. I love to socialize. I'm, I'm going out on dates with interesting people. And uh, as a side project, I think I'm going to write a book about my dating experiences, maybe a book of haikus. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I eat most of my meals standing over the kitchen sink or in front of the refrigerator with the door open. Um, yeah, just le- living the single bachelorette life.
1: I know we're a bit over time, but uh, I hope you don't mind just a few more minutes. Step, tell me, uh, you were you were saying that you're gonna write another book? Uh, what are some stories or what are some things you would write in that uh, in that book? I think a lot of uh, people would be interested in that. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, okay, so so I have two books in mind. You know, I have a book about dating, which is called My Uterus is a Homing Device for Assholes, which is just really all about, uh, you know, each chapter would be a story about a ridiculous man that I went out with. Um, you know, for instance, the guy who had to blow into the breathalyzer to start his car, or, um, the guy who yelled at me on our first date, which was fascinating. Um, the guy that I went out with who was an evangelical Christian, which is like, it's fine to be that. It's That's not really a good fit for me. I wear a little necklace that says badass in script. And also I have a couple of tattoos. He couldn't take his eyes off of my badass necklace or the tattoo on my wrist while I was talking. And so um, you know, so, so that wasn't a good fit. So that's one book. But I actually, I have an idea for another business book, which I will entitle The Anti-Elevator Pitch. Um, I have this impression that this practice of elevator pitching has killed business communication. And I believe that, you know, instead of an elevator pitch, we need to teach people how to uh, communicate using all of the power of the physiology that God gave us to, you know, bond with people emotionally to have really great conversations that are centered around stories and so i want to write a book about how the elevator pitch killed business communication so there you go two good ideas so publishers if you're out there listening and you would you would like my my book project contact me
1: deb uh, we've been talking for quite some time now it's been i think half an hour and we've covered a lot of different uh, topics if you could leave our audience with just one final thought what would that be
0: um, hmm. let's see. I, you know, we talked a lot about entrepreneurship and we talked a lot about saying yes. Uh, you know, I have woven through here this idea that, you know, uh, branding is really all about connecting with people on a deeply emotional level. I, I want to leave people with a, can I leave people with a mini MBA in branding? Cause I want them to get some brand value out of this. Um, I, I would say that if you are, if you are really thinking about your brand and a brand for either you personally as an entrepreneur or as an entrepreneur wannabe or you're thinking about a brand for your company, it's not as hard as you think. Your brand really doesn't exist without your customers. You have a brand whether you like it or not. But if you really want to get to the core of what is your brand, you just need to ask these three questions. And those questions are, what does it say about a person that they use this brand? Or if you're an individual and you're providing you know, solopreneur services or something like that? What does it say about a company or an individual that they hire me to do this particular job? The second question you want to ask is, what is the singular thing that I or my brand brings to the table that customers cannot get anywhere else? So this really speaks to the essence of differentiation and that differentiation not being different for different sake but being meaningfully different. And then the third thing is always, 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 and this goes for every kind of situation, whether you're pitching new business Or you are, um, you are trying to create a campaign that, that brings customers to you. Think about your customer. Think about what is the story that your customer is trying to create for their lives. They always want to be the protagonist in that story. And how does your brand or how do you make that customer a hero in their story? If you can answer those three questions, you have the strategic underpinnings of your brand, and that's really the core DNA of your brand, and that's where the communication about the brand should start
1: with. Dip Gaber, thank you so much for coming in.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneur Decoded. For killer resources and free content, go to entrepreneurdecoded.com.